Hey folks, and welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to J.W. Weatherman. Many of you know him by his pseudonymous Wookie Chewbacca avatar on Twitter. Uh, he's a Bitcoin maximalist, and we talk about Lightning Network sidechains, second layer solutions, and everything like that. Uh, mostly focusing on lightning. It's a great conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But first, if you could go over to iTunes right now, head over there, leave a five-star and a written review. It would really help out. You have no idea how much that helps me. And if you want to do anything else uh, to help the podcast, go over to supportmypodcast.com. And that'll show you all the other ways to help us from shopping using our Amazon link to supporting us with Bitcoin on Bitbacker all that sort of stuff. I really appreciate all the help, but most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Bitcoin Maximalist and founder of MathBot.com, where kids and adults get rewarded with Bitcoin for mastering math and programming puzzles. J.W. Weatherman, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, you know, like we talked a little bit uh, before we hit the record button, uh, you know, I've, I've been following you for a while and I actually started to take uh, the 10 hours of Bitcoin course um, that you have. And uh, so, you know, what I've seen so far, it's excellent. And I'll have a link to that. Uh, in the show notes, if you go to digitalcrypto.com slash 30. Uh, and having followed you for a while, I know probably even the name of my podcast is, is something that you oppose. But uh, first, let's talk about uh, you, you know yourself before we dive into this subject of, of Lightning Network and Second Layer. Um, so who are you? Uh, you know, What do you do in this space, if anybody doesn't know? And, and kind of what is your philosophy? Yeah, I got involved in, uh, I mean, my, my background is software security. Um, I've done a lot of software security design work over the years um, and uh, worked for big companies and then did some startups. Um, and I got involved in Bitcoin a little bit over a year ago. Um, I had sold the company and finally had some downtime to, uh, to look into Bitcoin and the price was kind of going crazy. And so it was good timing to finally attract my attention to it. I really thought it was a... a the way it was described to me was uh, by some people that didn't quite get the economics. You know, you, you get a bad uh, description of it and you just kind of file that with stupid. And that's basically what I did a long time ago. Um, but I, I decided I would finally dig into it. So I did a, a Bitcoin threat model and a threat model is basically what security design people do when they're trying to figure out how to break software. Um, and, uh, so if you're, you know, if you're Google or Facebook, you hire people like me to come in and threat model some application that you're planning on shipping to see where it could be broken. Um, so I was pretty confident that I was going to do that with Bitcoin and find some some major flaws. Um, even though there was a lot of money slushing around, I was still pretty sure that it was just there uh, um, for you know some some weird reason. But I didn't think that it could become a global currency. I figured that the claims that it was, you know. Uh, unhackable software were uh, just, you know, insane to somebody that's been in software security for a while. So I did that about a year ago. That that uh, document is part of the 10hoursofbitcoin.com. And uh, it's the number 10, by the way, uh, 10hoursofbitcoin.com. Uh, 
and uh, convinced me that it was pretty legit. I couldn't figure out a way to break it, and I, I uh, got kind of obsessed with it, uh, been obsessed with it now for, I don't know, 14, 18 months, something, 16 months, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much me. I guess the other thing that I have going on that's that's more of my day job is uh, mathbot.com. Um, but I got really inspired to kind of spin up that. I had kind of shelved it, but once I realized that Bitcoin was legitimate, I realized it was a solution to a, a user experience problem that I had with MathBot, which was trying to make the incentives to pass these puzzles a little bit bigger than just, you know, a dancing clown on the screen or something, because these, these puzzles are hard. Um, you know, you're learning some, uh, some pretty advanced math and programming. Um, and, uh, so the idea of rewarding people as they pass levels with Bitcoin kind of, uh, got really exciting to me. So that's, that's my day job, mathbot.com. So you'd say it was more of the, the, the tech that kind of, uh, less so than like say monetary policy. Um, well, I mean, or, they're all tied economics. up together. Yeah, no, definitely. It's just kind of some people, you know, a lot of times when it's more the libertarian side, uh, the, you know, the political activists, it's usually kind of the political implications from the economics is what draws people in. Um, and then a lot of people on the tech side, it's it's that, but it's also kind of the the deeper understanding of the tech that a lot of us non-tech people don't understand. Yeah, I don't think I would have been excited about Bitcoin at all if it wasn't both, because a technology you know, is something that does something, but it doesn't mean that it's worth doing or important. Um, so I definitely have an Austrian economics background. And um, when I saw that it could actually do what it was saying it was going to do, I got really excited about that. Um, I do think that the social implications for having a, a secure money or a sound money are just uh, massive. Um, and I do think that as a result of that, um, I see it as a very uh, humanitarian and uh, charitable effort. Anything that we can do to help Bitcoin become adopted as global money, because uh, we've got a lot of uh, you know libertarian caricature people in the space that are really just—they're not really libertarians. They don't really get Austrian economics, but they pay a lot of lip service to stuff that's true, right? Like the. Uh, you know, Roger Ver and his, uh, you know, babies dying thing is a classic example. Yes, because the economies of the world are messed up and there's this boom and bust cycle that's artificially created. It really does cut down on our ability to advance technology. And yes, that does result in people dying. Um, but, you know, most of the people that are saying stuff like that are just trying to get you to buy their scam coin. Um, so there's there's very much an affinity scam happening in the libertarian and cap community. Uh, but that said, the reason that Bitcoin matters is because uh, because we don't want the government involved with money. Uh, so one of the things that I, I think that we should probably briefly talk about, and you kind of were just um, uh, mentioning, you know, Roger Ver and and others who, who kind of represent the big block uh, on chain scaling crew, is that uh, I, I kind of uh, did a, a longer interview with uh, Pierre and, and Giacomo, kind of talking about that, um, but. You know, part of the explanation of second layer and lightning is kind of, you know, why is it necessary in the first place? Right. So right. If, if you don't mind and take as you know little or as long as you want to uh, maybe uh, summarize the argument against on-chain scaling to kind of set the stage of why a second layer uh, is even needed, you know, second layer of side chains, all that kind of stuff are even needed in the first place. Yeah. Um I think like a lot of things, the, the simplest way to understand them is to think 
um, what would happen if we took it to the extreme. So right now, you know, we have a couple megabyte uh, block size limit. If we turned that up to 200 megabyte blocks, um, what would happen? And fortunately, we kind of know because we've seen some of these goofballs do it over the last year. We've increased the block size limit really high. And the result of that is that the nodes on the network have a hard time keeping up. Um, so a lot of people are, are noticing that it's basically impossible now to run an Ethereum full node. Um, it's not, it's, there's a few things going on. One is that we don't want the hardware that's required to run a full node to get really expensive because it's, if it's very expensive to run a full node and all a full node is, is like a, a wallet that you should trust, right? If you want to, if I send you money and you want to know that I actually sent you money, the only way for you to know that is if you have a full node, everything else you're outsourcing, you're trusting somebody else that presumably has a full node and is telling you the truth. So you really want that to be as accessible as possible, obviously, or we're back to, uh, you know, uh, trust, right? And that that doesn't make sense for the mission of Bitcoin. Um, so we want it to be cheap, but we also have an issue with mining where if the blocks are really, really big, then um, it takes time to move data across the internet, right? So if I have two megabytes and I want to move it from here to China, uh, it's going to be relatively quick. If I have 200 megabytes, it's going to be slower, right? So a few seconds more, um, maybe maybe a minute more. And the problem with that is that if I find a block, let's say I'm in China and I find a block, um, anybody that's close to me is going to hear about that block significantly sooner than people that are in the United States or Finland or something. And if they hear about that newer block sooner, they start mining on top of that. So they start trying to, to, to put together a new block on top of that block and they get a huge advantage. Um, it might not sound huge, but 10, 15, 20 seconds, uh, when you're, when you're playing a lottery, gives you a significant edge over everybody else, right? You get to guess a lot more times. And as soon as that happens a little bit, it is, uh, it's a snowball situation, right? So if you imagine, you know, somebody in China finds a block and all the Chinese miners, uh, everybody, you know, within, within that country, for, let's say, or with, it's really even worse, right? Like within this one little city or within this one data center, um, if they get to find out about that block and it's significantly sooner than everybody else, then they're more likely to find the next block, right? And that means that it, it, uh, it's sort of this downward spiral situation where people that, uh, that have a lot of mining power that are really close together can end up uh, with, all of, with finding all of the blocks and everybody else just goes out of business. Um, they're not finding any blocks and they can't, can't do that. Um, and it's not a completely binary thing. So unfortunately, it's not like we can say, okay, you know, one meg is unsafe. Uh, 1.5 megs is, uh, or one meg is safe. 1.5 megs is unsafe. Right. Um, I think it was actually unfortunate that they increased the block size at all, because it's when you're dealing with a critical security parameter and you know that at some point you increase it to the point where the whole system falls apart, you want to be really, really conservative. Uh, the example that I give is if you walked into Facebook and you said, hey, guys, you know, we're uh, we're building this new technology. We want it to someday use up to 30 percent of the Internet's you know, uh, bandwidth. It's going to be huge. And we just came up with this way to double the number of people that can be on Facebook. Uh, we can, you know, it's really, it's huge. We're going to increase it by a hundred percent. But 
it requires that we screw with the security parameter and it's probably going to be okay. Um, you just get fired, right? You just be laughed out of the room because the amount of scale that something like Facebook or something like Bitcoin has to do is exponential. And so just getting a doubling is like not even worth talking about. Like if you had a five people in the meeting, you'd get get laughed at for the resources that you wasted in talking about doubling the capacity of the network. Um, and if the only way to do that was to mess with a security parameter that could, uh, for you know uh, those reasons and a few others, uh, result in the network security being completely destroyed, uh, it's just a really laughable bad idea. And in fact, the only reason that it's a good idea is if you happen to be in a situation where you have the majority of miners. Um, if you are, you know, Jihan and you're sitting in China and you've got a ton of miners, then increasing the block size, especially to a level where it's going to make it more likely that you find the blocks and actually give you control of, you know, what could be the next global money that that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reason to do something like that. So if you look through the Bitcoin threat model, you'll see this whole discussion in context of an attacker trying to introduce dangerously large blocks. Um, because there's really no other reason for it, right? Like doubling the capacity of uh, something that you expect to scale exponentially is uh, is just you know lunacy. Uh, just just to interject here real quick, uh, one of the thoughts, um, you, you know, even with the block size, let, let's just say if it was halved, uh, you know, some like a proposal like Luke uh, Dash Jr. Has, has made is that if um, even with the block size, regardless of the size, there's, you know, kind of like how high frequency trading works, like the closer you are to Wall Street, you know, they're, they're building these centers, you know, right, right on the shore, right across. Eventually, no matter what the block size is, I mean, even even if it's small, even that millisecond can give you, sure. you know, it, yep. that. I yeah, mean, so I the speed really of light. Yeah, I don't want to go down that is, rabbit hole just yet, but uh, no, no. I mean, it's it's worth talking about, and uh, that is true, right? So if you have a fifty millisecond advantage uh, because you're next to the last miner, that is, that is a real advantage. It's just not enough to matter in the in, in the big scheme of things, right? Um, and we see we see the results of it not mattering much because um, when we when we have, uh, it's, it's significant, but a small amount of latency in a 10 minute period, you still get to play the lottery enough to where it's not likely that you're going to be kicked out. Um, on the other hand, if it, you know, if it was a five minute latency, that would mean that the miners that were close to that block got to mine uh, attempt to win a block, you know, twice as long as everybody else. And so we know that that would end up in, you know, a disaster. Um, and that's part of what was going on with the whole big block, small block debate. You know, this whole Bcash attack, right? Uh, the the whole idea behind it was we're not just going to increase it to four megabytes or eight megabytes. You know, Segwit2x, I think, was eight megabytes. Um, we're not going to increase it to that. We're just going to increase it to that. And then we're going to increase it again, right? And you saw that they did that. I think last I heard they were up to like 32 megabyte blocks, Um maybe even higher but they certainly had people yeah i think sv just mined uh i didn't really look at it that deeply but um they coin geek had released that they i think it was like 132 or something like that that they'd recently just done right so i mean if you've um if you've ever tried to move a file across the internet you know there's a big difference between like a, a two megabyte video or a two megabyte uh image and a 200 megabyte file right 
um, it's it's substantial the 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 amount of time that it needs to take. Um, and if that happens every single you know every ten minutes, you have a problem. If it's not that huge of an advantage, then you don't get to a point where it starts downward spiraling. So you can afford the guys in China to have a fifty millisecond advantage because there's a really good chance that the next people that find those block that block is going to be in Finland or is going to be in the United States, right? Even though they did have an advantage, that advantage is popping around the globe as well. Um, it's at the point where uh, it's such a big advantage that it's much more likely the next guy finds a block near you that things just completely go off the rails. So, the, I mean, I think that anybody that is not just completely technically incompetent um, you know, and I say that knowing that there's a lot of people that are in this space that are just not technologists. And I feel for you because it's not, it's not an easy place to be an investor or to try to be informed. But people that are technically competent, that have kind of a software background, they look at that and they go, okay, cost benefit, right? Cost security, critical security parameter, benefit basically zero, right? Like if we went with Segwit2x and we had eight megabyte blocks, we still couldn't support McDonald's, right? We still couldn't support um, 5% of Amazon's volume. And we're trying to create global cash here. We're not trying to create some, you know, airline miles points or something. So it really just, the there's basically zero benefit and significant, you know, possibly critical uh, end of Bitcoin cost. So it's not a hard decision to make from a technology standpoint. The The reason that it gets complicated is that you have a lot of people that are trying to do their best that don't have a technology background. And uh, uh, they're using different heuristics, right? So like one of the heuristics that the libertarian community tends to use is uh, this idea that, you know, the they're always going to be on the fringes, right? They're always going to be the outcasts. So if you can tell them, hey, there's this company that raised a bunch of money, or there's these five companies that raised a bunch of money, and they're not like you, right? They're successful. You guys are kind of, you know, you're kind of the weirdos on the fringe, and they've done it again. You know, these evil bastards have got you. That's not a bad heuristic, right? Like if if uh, if I don't know anything else, and somebody tells me that there's been an attack on like a U.S. consulate or something. I don't believe it, right? I assume it's just a false flag situation right off the bat, not knowing anything else. But that's not good enough to uh, to know what's going on and be a good investor. And you know, there's been a lot of people that have taken advantage of that. Well, I, next, you know, I'll, I'll ask that question more towards the end. Um, but as far as for for Lightning Network, I guess let's kind of go over what the difference between a second layer solution like Lightning Network and a, and a side chain is uh, what they, uh, what their purposes kind of are and and how they interact with the uh, Bitcoin main chain. Yeah, totally. And I think I think when we start talking about Lightning, um, it's another reason that it, like a technologist, like when I when I first looked at this, I, I first looked at it like kind of when all this was going on. Um, or just was over, you know, it was kind of a blur because I was drinking from the fire hose. But for me, it was like, okay, critical security parameter uh, could break the network. Um, there's some, there was some analysis, I think, that said maybe four megabytes was, was where it would break. Um, I think it was the only data analysis that was done that was credible. Um, but either way, I was looking at it like, I'm not even, I don't even like the idea of a SegWit increasing the block size because I'm looking at basically zero benefit and it is a critical security parameter. They're saying that they can double it and it will be safe, which is what SegWit did. Um, but 
didn't didn't really make sense. And then you throw on top of that the fact that there's already a really interesting design um, and some uh, some progress being made on the Lightning Network. Uh, and it just, you know, you, you go, okay, wait a minute. We're trying to, with the Lightning Network, we can do more transactions per second than Visa and MasterCard combined. Um, if we increase the block size, we might break the whole system and we're going to get to be able to service maybe, if we're lucky, like one McDonald's in Albuquerque. So it it's really kind of a no-brainer. But let me give you an, uh, a simple explanation of what Lightning Network is. Um, it's basically cleverly delayed Bitcoin transactions. So let's say that Alice wants to send money uh, between her and Bob. So she she needs to send Bob a hundred bucks. She could send Bob a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, and he could just take that on chain, and they could pay a fee. Or she could create the transaction and sign it, and not put it on the Bitcoin network, but just give it to Bob. And Bob, because it's already signed, he could at any point throw it on the Bitcoin network, right? So he knows he's got a hundred bucks right now. But he might delay throwing it on the network because he doesn't want to pay the fees uh, because he's expecting to send money back to Alice. So what he can do is he can hold on to that Bitcoin transaction. It's a real normal Bitcoin transaction, and he can hold on to that. Um, it's going to expire at some point in the future, or he'll just get tired of holding it, you know, sort of temporarily. Um and so he'll he'll eventually throw it on the network. But let's say that he decides to hold on to it and he's just going to hold it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months before he gets to, to putting it on the, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and during that period of time, now he wants to send 20 bucks back to Alice. Uh, what's cool about this situation is that Alice can create a new transaction sending him $80 and the original one will be invalidated, right? So now it's basically like, like Bob is holding a Bitcoin transaction that's only worth $80 now. So he didn't actually send uh, 20 bucks to Alice. He just decreased the amount um, that was being sent uh, originally, right? So she was sending him 100 and now she's only sending him 80 um, And what's cool about that is, um, and what get, gets everybody excited, right? Like a technologist is like, this is, this is a really elegant solution because you... You don't use up any block space, so there's no uh, there's no fees at all. Um, from a privacy standpoint, it's awesome because all of these interactions between Alice and Bob these are exclusively between Alice and Bob. Nobody nobody else ever gets that data, um, so that's very cool. And you could do that uh, basically for free, right? Like there doesn't really if, if Alice and Bob are just invalidating and overriding transactions. There's no reason that either one of them should be paying a fee. And the speed is insane, right? The speed is as fast as Alice can create a new transaction that invalidates the old one and Bob can sign it and Alice can sign it. Like that is like like the speed of an email, right? Like bam, 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 right? Milliseconds. Um, so it is, it's a really cool concept. It's a really cool idea. And, uh, you know, a year ago we were having to talk about it as... I am right now just like explaining it from a design level. But at this point, you can experience it, right? You can install Blue Wallet, you can install Zap Lightning yep. Wallet, and uh, you can start moving money around. Um, where it also gets really cool, though, is that let's say that Alice and Bob, they're they're doing, you know, tons of transactions back and forth um, with this, this $100. Uh, maybe at some point they need to increase the amount, but there's a lot of, there's, you know, hundreds or thousands of transactions can happen between Alice and Bob. 
before any transaction goes to the Bitcoin blockchain. So, you know, you even if you had to pay a dollar fee to go to the Bitcoin blockchain, if you've moved a million dollars, you know, you've sent $100 back and forth, uh, you know, 10,000 times or something, then that's that's totally fine, right? The the percentage fee is is minuscule still. Uh, but it gets even better because Alice and Bob can send each other money back and forth. But if Alice wants to send money to Charlie and Charlie is connected to Bob, then Alice can just send that money to Bob and Bob can send it on to Charlie. And all this stuff, like the, the cryptography involved is um, difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, all of this is possible without any trust. Um, at any point in time, the people that are owed money can take those transactions that have already been signed by everybody that is paying money and put those on the Bitcoin blockchain and uh, and close out and get their money. Um, so it's really just a smart way of delaying transactions, uh, which just brings a ton of power to the network. Um, so it's it's uh, it's great. And I think that, uh, like you said earlier, that it's that it's hard for people who are not. Um, you know, within the, within the tech field, you know, specifically, you know, people that, that, that know how to code and program um, because, you know, Bitcoin's hard enough to understand. And uh, you, you just on it, on the face of it from, from an outsider's perspective, but, right. you know, and I think uh, I can't remember if it was in the episode with you, uh, but, but Peter McCormick had also mentioned that as well, that, you know, you could pick up the Bitcoin white paper, you know, it's eight pages, it's it's there's there's some technical aspects in it, but it's it's pretty easily understood, especially if you read it, uh, go do a lot more deep dives, you know, and spend, you know, 20, 30 hours on YouTube and then come back and read it again. Where with lightning, uh, that that's uh, that's a heck of a of a read um, to, to look at the, at the white paper for lightning. And I think that's that's why there's there's probably an even larger disconnect you know, in the first, and, and that's, I mean, I'm one of those people because I tried to read the white paper and I was just kind of like, it did not take very long before I was, you know, needing to, to find my Rosetta stone and, and try to decipher some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's definitely possible. I think there, um, Elizabeth Stark has given, uh, if you go out to 10 hours of Bitcoin, that's a number 10, by the way, like one zero and then hours of Bitcoin.com. Uh, down towards the bottom of the page, Elizabeth Stark does a pretty good, I think it's only like 30 minute overview of lightning network. Yeah. I see it right um, here. It's uh, it's 15 minutes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even better. I mean, it's, it's short and sweet. She's done some other talks as well. Um, and there, there are, uh, there's a lot, I mean, at this point, there's a ton of people out there. Um, and more importantly, like I said, you can just download the wallet and, and work with it. I think that, uh, I think this is going to be an ongoing problem for maybe another year or two because there's a lot of money to be made in taking advantage of, of people that are investing but don't really understand the technology. I would argue that like when you read the Bitcoin white paper, you probably you had a sense that you understood what was going on, but there is a ton of stuff happening. And if anybody tried to explain to you what's actually happening in the Bitcoin white paper, like I would struggle over the next hour to be able to explain to you how a, a MD5 hash works or how ECDSA works. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's and you that's, just gloss over it and you go, oh, okay, you know, there's this, there's this magic thing that I don't totally understand, but I get the overview, um, and you're comfortable with that. And when it comes to the Lightning Network, I think 
uh, a lot of people have done that, right? Uh, they've, they've said, okay, I get the idea, right? Like the light bulb goes off when you go, oh, okay. Um, we are going to burn a bunch of electricity. And as we burn that electricity, uh, we're going to use that. The, the, the chain of transactions that represent the most destroyed electricity is the truth, right? Like you can get that from the Bitcoin white paper. But if you look at the lightning stuff or the talks or the, the white paper, I think you can get, oh, I see what's going on here. We're going to delay these Bitcoin transactions and invalidate them uh, with mutual approval um, until we no longer want to do that. And then we're going to throw it on the network. Right. So it's really not at a high level. It's definitely no more complicated. Uh, but one of the things that's happening is like innovation is accelerating and people are coming up with all kinds of new and interesting ways to solve a bunch of problems. Uh, and that's a good thing, but it's going to make it harder and harder for uh, a non-technologist to keep up. My best advice in general is. Uh, don't invest in things that you don't understand. With Bitcoin, that's a little bit tough uh, because I don't want to tell people that they shouldn't own any Bitcoin. I do think that it's still speculative um, in the sense that it's it's new technology. It's very risky. It could blow up, but it is it represents such a leap forward for humanity that as a sort of a charitable effort, I, I wouldn't discourage people from trying to get involved. And I think people that have done that, that have ended up with Bcash, um, you know, I, I think a lot of their hearts were in the right place. They did end up funding an attack on the very thing that they wanted to uh, support. But, you know, at the end of the day, we can't have a global money uh, unless people get comfortable with it. But I think over time, the amount of technical innovation is going to accelerate more and more. But you're also going to be able to just put your hands on it, right? You're going to be able to grab a lightning wallet and use it and not really understand it. Um, and I think the other thing that's happening is there's more and more people that are professional technologists that have like a really good uh, ability to explain what's going on that are getting attracted to the space. Um, the, the software security community as a whole is still really not interested um, because it just, it's very weird and scammy and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just takes a long time for things to click for people. So like, there's not a ton of really great, uh, so there, there are some, right? Like I, I'm not trying to say that guys like Adam Back and Christian Decker and, um, a lot of these guys are incredible. Um, uh, but there, there are also a lot of like cryptographers. And, uh, um, I think one of the things that's going to happen over time and it's accelerating is we're going to attract more, um, sort of generic software security people into the space. And that's going to make it a lot easier uh, because you don't know whether you should run Windows or Linux or Mac OS, but there's so many software security people that are working on those sorts of problems that you can pretty much figure out that any three of those options are safe, but you don't want to run, you know, some other goofy thing you've never heard of. We're going to get there with Bitcoin, uh, but it's, it's going to take time. So between now and then, I would say, the best thing you can do is just try to find people that do know what they're talking about. Um, you know, remain skeptical, but man, if you, if you, let me put it this way. If you don't know, if you like just pop open YouTube right now, type in uh, Craig Wright, right? Craig Wright, Bitcoin, watch one of his talks. If you don't have like the, the lie detector test and the sort of, if assuming you're non-technical and the intellectual ability to see that this guy is just an absolute clown, then stop right now, like sell your stuff and just get out of here because 
if you can't do the technology, you have to be able to at least kind of read people and read the situation and, and take advantage of some per- peripheral knowledge. If that CSW dude seems legit to you, um, you are just going to continue to get, get fleeced. So my advice is just run for the hills. Um, this is not a good place for you. Well, you know, it's it's funny you talk about that. There's not a lot of just general, you know, people from from uh, you know, the security field coming over. Is that I I I have to you know kind of tell myself sometimes too that we get so sucked in you know Twitter and kind of this bubble where it's like you know Bitcoin constantly and and we're reading about it and we're listening to podcasts and and all this you know th- this world is our world and sometimes I, I forget that I need to step back. And look at the rest of the, the the rest of the world and realize that most people don't you know the the most you know, most people know the word Bitcoin they know that it means some sort of like you know magic internet money maybe and it kind of went up isn't it dead now um, sort of thing you know if you ask the average person on the street but you know it, it it's also a matter I think a lot of people um, I, I don't think Wall Street suffers from this as much because I don't think that they care about reputational risk as much. But I think people from a lot of uh, technical backgrounds or even economists don't want to take that uh, reputational risk to kind of get involved in something like this because they do, like you said, they see it as scammy or they don't quite understand it and don't care enough to try to um, and aren't going to dip their toes into something where they don't want to be tarnished with, you know, the, the, you know, the pets.com effect, you know. Hey folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we are. I don't have any sponsors, so if you could go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the different ways that you can support the podcast from Amazon links to a bunch of other stuff. You could back us on Bitback or with crypto. But most of all, if you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star and a written review, it'd be very, very helpful. So thanks again and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, I think I think that's true. The, the other thing that's happening with economists is that 95% of the jobs of an economist are like, you know, working for government, working for the Fed, um, and uh, working for, you know, academia, They're, they tend to be very left leaning sort of things. So if you say that you're interested in uh, removing government power, and you've got a degree in economics, you've your options have just your your career prospects have gone down really drastically. So there's a huge element with Bitcoin of the number of people that it's disrupting is a real turnoff to a lot of people. Um, and that's okay because new technology does that, right? Um, I'm sure that if you worked at the post office and email was getting really popular, you would have had a tendency to sort of poo-poo it and say, ah, it's not going to be that big of a deal. We're always going to have just as many letters. Um, and I think that that happens to a lot of industries or a lot of people, you know, in, in industries that are, that are threatened by Bitcoin. Um, it's also just super new and super early, right? Like one of the things that I, uh, I tell people is like, if you're frustrated with the pace of innovation of Bitcoin over the last year, you need to just step back and realize that a year ago, there was no lightning network. You know, there was this uh, block size debate. It was basically a fight for survival, right? It was, it was questionable to a lot of people at the time, whether a critical security flaw was going to be introduced into the network the experiment was going to be over. And it's not clear that another experiment could be kicked up, right? Um, It's possible that if a critical security flaw got into Bitcoin and things blew up, we could create a new blockchain. But 
all of the people that now know that they're threatened by the existence of a government hard blockchain are going to be ready for it. And I think that it's still possible that we could rebuild it, but it's not guaranteed. This could very much be a, a, a one, one-time uh, opportunity that doesn't come back. So that's the situation a year ago. And there was no chance that somebody like Amazon could have used it. I've looked back and just been baffled by things that people said on Twitter, like, oh, Overstock is going to accept Bitcoin. It means that Amazon is going to accept it next. Uh, and this is like years ago when what it, seven transactions per second or something like, can you imagine? Oh my gosh, now we can do 14 transactions per second. The number of transactions that Amazon does per second is uh, orders of magnitude greater than that. Um, so there was never any hope of that. There was a lot of false hope by a lot of people that just couldn't do basic math, I guess, because all that's involved there is multiplication. Um, but that's no longer true. I mean, as we sit here uh, a year later, it is possible that Amazon or Twitter or somebody that needs to do a tons of ton of transactions could, uh, you know, start working with the Lightning Network and go live and uh, be ready to support a ton of volume. Um, and you know, it's going to be dicey. There's still a lot of work to do to scale uh, Lightning Network and side chains and the other things that need to happen. And if I was at Amazon and I flipped on Lightning Network tomorrow. I would be very careful about the number of users I moved over. It wouldn't be an open the floodgate situation, but it's finally plausible. It's finally at a point where it makes sense to, you know, open the gates a little bit and see see what the limitations are and what the user experience is, and um, you know, maybe have a couple people work on open source projects to make Lightning Network better because we're still talking about less than ten people, I think. Um, have made you know major contributions to the Lightning Network. It's not a huge number of people. It's a couple people at a couple companies uh, that have built this thing over the last year, year and a half. Um, so yeah, there's still some work to do. There was a ton of distraction on uh, just trying to survive. But as we sit here, it's possible to do hundreds of thousands of transactions per second on Bitcoin. And that was not anything more than a, uh, a, a design on paper a year ago. So it is, it is moving really fast, actually, and it's making good progress. But I think a lot of people had, you know, just insane expectations. Like if you thought we were going to have flying cars, you know, 50 years ago, I guess you're going to be disappointed if we pull off nuclear fusion next year. But that's yeah. just because you were <laughs> retarded. Uh, so, but right now, uh, just accessing, uh, you know, Lightning, uh, I downloaded Blue Wallet, uh, you know, on my phone, simple, pretty easy. I just imported, uh, you know, uh, probably like, you know, you know, $20 in Bitcoin over, threw it on there and, and was just kind of playing around with it. It's, you know, it's basic, but it, you know, it doesn't really need to be much at, at the moment, uh, but it's, it seems to be pretty easy to use. So they have that kind of that light client um, that you could run on your phone or, you know, you can run your own node via something that you can build your own or Casa sells one. Um, that's I, it's from what I've heard is pretty plug and play. I haven't gotten one yet to to be able to play around with it. But um, so this is kind of a two part solution or a two part question. One is there much neater kind of emphasis for users to run their own lightning nodes? Uh, the same kind of you know in the way that the emphasis is on you know for for the main chain uh, to run your own node uh, versus say you know a custodial or a light client on Litecoin and and how do you envision you know, say five to 10 years, if, if Lightning could scale to, you know, the global use um, 
you know, what's the, the the ideal or average user experience? How will they will be how will they be using it in terms of nodes, uh, custodial, like clients, you know, that sort of thing? How do you envision that's going to take place? Yeah, I'll I'll try to do this just off the top of my head. So these numbers might not be uh, I might not be comfortable with these numbers tomorrow. So get the concept, but realize I could be you know uh, ten times off. But in general. I think it's fine to not run a full node if you've got, say, 500 bucks on your phone, right? So if you've got 500 bucks on your phone, I send you 50 bucks because we went out for beers or something, and you don't have that connected to a full node, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, right? Um, but you should realize that you haven't actually uh, validated that you got that 50 bucks. It's very possible that you've been lied to because you're, the software that you're running on your phone doesn't have the history of the blockchain. And so how could it possibly know that you really got that 50 bucks? Well, it's just trusting some service to tell you, yeah, man, it looks like you got that 50 bucks. If you trust me, you got it, right? But that's fine for 50 bucks uh, because if you're talking about running uh, a full node and, you know, unfortunately we did increase the block size. Uh, there's, you know, I'm, I, I think it is what it is. I don't think that we should try to reduce it. I think that that is another way to try to fork and attack the network um, at this point. I think leave, leave it alone. It's working fine. But um, but at the same time, there is a cost associated with running a full node. It's much less than it could have been. But let's say it's 10 bucks a month. You're going to pay 10 bucks a month to some hosting provider um, to run a full node. Or you're going to spend, uh, you know, 500 bucks on a Casa node or something. Um, you're going to put it at your house. It's, you know, still, I don't know, what is that? That's more than 10 bucks a month, right? Um, so at the end of the day, is it worth 10 bucks a month for you to validate a $50, you know, transaction when I send you some money for a beer once every three or four months? Probably not. It probably just doesn't make sense to do that. So in that situation, it's totally fine. Um, there is a point though above 500 bucks where I would say, no, you want to have a full note. Like if I'm going to send you $5,000 for a car or let's say $50,000 for a car, at some point that dollar amount gets to the point where you're like, no, I'm not giving you my car until I know that I actually have my money. And in order to actually know that you have the money, you need to have a full note. So um, I think Zap allows you to remotely connect to a full note at this point. Um, I don't know if Blue Wallet does, but I think that they have said that they're headed in that direction. So that would be where you have a full node at your house or you have it, you know, hosted on AWS or, or Dropbox or, or not Dropbox. Uh, uh, what is that? It doesn't matter. Um, you've got a droplet in uh, some, some hosting provider, some cheap hosting provider, and you're connecting to that with your phone. Um, it probably makes sense to do that, right? If you're going to get, especially if you're regularly going to get $5,000 amounts. You're going to go out and you're going to buy Bitcoin on localbitcoins.com on a regular basis, or you're a merchant and you're going to accept stuff, or you're going to do a one-time thing uh, for $50,000. Yeah. Spend the 10 bucks a month, get a full node fired up uh, because you really want to know that you have that money. Um, and that's kind of uh, unrelated to whether you're doing Bitcoin transactions or lightning transactions. Uh, if uh, if you're doing lightning on your phone right now, you, you're you're doing you know basically custodial stuff, right? Like uh, Blue Wallet is 
custodial for the lightning wallet, um, which means that there's a lot of trust that you're putting, you know, it's basically Coinbase. Um, the, the difference being that when you come out of blue wallet to some other service that can happen over lightning and, and be basically no fee. So that's cool, but it still, uh, has some, you know, security downsides. I wouldn't recommend you put $5,000 into Coinbase or into your blue wallet, uh, you know, on your phone. Um, so, when it comes to larger amounts, if you're going to be transacting a large amount of money and you're going to have significant balances, yeah, you're going to want to run your own uh, full node. And Lightning actually requires that you have a Bitcoin full node because it's, it's again, Lightning is just like this chunk of software that's creating these, creating and validating these cleverly delayed transactions. But when it actually comes time to commit a transaction to the network or to see if a transaction is legitimate, it has to have the full blockchain. Um, so, uh, so yeah, most, most people right now that are running lightning are either doing sort of a custodial thing, uh, with blue wallet, or they've got a Bitcoin full node with lightning software running on top of it. Um, and, uh, there is a third option that's coming. That's neutrino is what it's called. And it will allow you to have a non custodial, uh, wallet without running a full node. It's kind of somewhere in between. It's actually pretty great that we're seeing so much innovation that there is something coming that's like, it's not quite as dumb as something that's custodial or as dumb as a light client that's just asking some random node whether a transaction happened. Uh, it is doing quite a bit of validation, but it's not having to download the whole blockchain and it's not quite as secure. Uh, but that's that's cool. And I would say that, you know, that'll be great for uh, for people that are transacting, you know, I don't know, maybe a thousand bucks here and there is fine to do on something like Neutrino. But those are the sort of trade-offs that, that you're making. Um, and there's always going to be security trade-offs and convenience trade-offs. Um, and with something like money, if the money goes up, the amount of security that you put into it goes up too. So um, I think over time, that will be very easy for people to get, right? Like somebody will just sign up and say, I want to be a merchant and accept Bitcoin. It'll be very obvious that, oh, you, you need to install um, node software. You hit this button, it fires up, you know, Amazon Web Services or something for you to, to give you a full node that's ready to go um, but you pay 10 bucks a month for it and that's fine as a merchant to have absolute rock solid validation um, and then other people you know you're going to send your buddy 20 bucks it's just going to be a light client on your phone probably neutrino so it'll be better than it is now but not not a full node so it's still complicated i mean look we're still really early in all of this stuff um, i couldn't tell you right now where you should buy Bitcoin, right? Uh, I, I'd tell you, yeah, you use a cash app. It's nice. It's easy. Uh, Jack has said nice things about Bitcoin recently. Uh, but yeah, they're going to KYC you. And uh, that puts you in a really bad spot uh, for a bunch of reasons, including, uh, you know, imagine an Equifax scenario uh, where all of your data gets leaked, but instead it's like your home address and how much Bitcoin you bought in 2014. That really sucks, but that's the that's the where we're at right now. We still have a lot of problems like that. We're still very early on in this technology. Yeah, actually, no that that's that's a good point. Um, you would, yeah, you would definitely not want to be in that situation where there is some sort of just not even a hack of say an exchange like Coinbase where they, you know, attempt to take the Bitcoin itself. But if you know, yeah, if if it got leaked out and now it's public knowledge, you know that. You know, John Smith over at 1422, you know, West Street. Yeah, he actually bought, you know, you know, you know, 50 Bitcoin back in the day. It was only cost him, you know, uh, back in uh, it cost him 50 grand back in 2013. But now it's worth, you know, X amount of dollars in, in, in 2035 uh, that 
that will cause a bit of of concern there. But uh, if we could actually roll, uh, you know, now I think the listeners should have a pretty good idea of of how you know lightning works and and how, how to access it now. Um, and w- while you're talking, uh, I did check Blue Wallet does allow you to connect to your own Lightning node if you wish. Um, right on. Good job, guys. Good job, Blue Wallet. I was talking trash and you guys already fixed it. Nice job. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I wanted to ask about some of the specific concerns that people have brought up. Uh, I guess the first the first one that that's kind of most uh, talked about is just the kind of the subject of watchtowers, basically that uh, do you have to... Uh, to use Lightning Network, always have to be. Do you have to always be online um, to, you know, receive payments and and operate compared to like with Bitcoin? You don't have to be right. It, it, it right. you don't have to have your node connected up or anything like that. But with Lightning, yeah, you know, how how does that exactly work? So uh, some of this stuff is a little bit outside of my uh, my complete comfort zone, but I might be able to to communicate it to you know kind of translate uh, down a little bit for everybody else. Um, so if I make a mistake, you know, hit me up. I'm sure I'll get hit up on Twitter. You can uh, you can you can tell me what a moron I am at uh, at JW Weatherman underscore. Um, but Basically, so we were talking about before how you have these these delayed Bitcoin transactions, right? So there was a transaction that was invalidated. So Alice sent Bob a hundred bucks, and then there was a new transaction where Alice is sending Bob only eighty bucks, and that previous transaction is invalidated. Well, there's nothing that's going to stop Bob from taking that hundred dollar transaction and submitting it to the blockchain, except that if he attempts to do that then he, in order to do that, he's going to reveal some information that allows Alice to uh, catch him in the act because the new transaction, uh, you know what, I'll just say at a, at a high level, the way that this works is if you try to use an invalid transaction, you try to use one of the older transactions that's already invalidated, the person you're trying to rip off has the power to not only prevent that transaction from happening, but close the channel and also punish you financially. So if Bob tried to rip off Alice by sending out that uh, that transaction where Alice was sending Bob a hundred and a hundred bucks instead of the the newer one where she's only supposed to be sending him eighty, she could actually um, and this is all coordinated in the protocol and uh, you know Bob agrees to this uh, as they're going. It's set up to where it's punitive to where Alice would actually end up only giving Bob maybe seventy bucks. Um, so it and that's the way it is right now. Um, and that's why this attack is way overhyped because, uh, if you try to do this, you're almost certainly going to get wrecked, right? It's, it's set up to where it's not like, oh, you try to attack Alice and then you don't succeed in attacking Alice. No, you try to attack Alice and she freaking crushes you, right? She, she takes more money than, uh, than, um, than you were even trying to steal from her, uh. But what that means is that somebody has to be watching the network to see if Bob attempts to to broadcast that shady transaction. Now, if you have a full node and you're paying, you know, five, I think it's down to like three or four bucks a month with some of these hosting providers to run a full Lightning node uh, to host, you know, host the hardware that's required for that. Um, or you buy a Casa node. Um, I don't really like those guys much, but if you buy a Casa node and throw it in your house, um, you know, and set up IP forwarding and the nightmare that's involved with that, then, you know, you're good to go there too. Um, 
in that case, your software is watching the network and it'll, you know, if, if Alice has a full node, she'll catch Bob trying to do that and crush him and take his money, right? But if you're running a light client, not something that's custodial, because I think Blue Wallet has, has you covered because they're actually running a full node on your behalf, even if you're doing the custodial thing with them. Uh, but if you are, let's say that you're running a full node you have, and you have a light client and, um, and you turn it off and you're in the middle of a transaction and Bob thinks maybe you turned it off and he's like, ah, I'm feeling really risky today. I'm going to try to steal a dollar and maybe it'll cost me 10. Um, then you could lose some money. But there's a lot of things that are stacked against the attacker in that situation. So it's really overhyped. Um, and the idea of watchtowers is cool. It's just this idea that other people on the network can see when there's a shady transaction and they can crush it um, even if uh, it's not their transaction. And so uh, I think once those are up and running, you know, people will just, because they're nice, run these things uh, for everybody else's benefit. Um, and you don't have to have a lot of them going in order to, uh, to make the equation make even less sense. But as it is, it already doesn't, it's not, it doesn't really make a lot of sense financially already to try to steal somebody's money knowing that almost certainly their software is automatically going to detect, detect it and then take money from you. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of uh, another note that I had, and, and maybe this is kind of, you know, you, you don't want to get into it as well. But I, I remember, um, um, like, you know, we talked before, uh, I'll be talking to, to Pierre about this as well um, next week. But he had a, kind of a, a Twitter thing, uh, a, a tweet thread going on. And he talked about that, you know, if, if a node on Lightning drops from the network and like your node drops in the network and you lose your channel state, you kind of have to hope that your peers close theirs as well and don't use like an older state where they had a higher balance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, his, his, his reputation it, it, to that person bringing that up was he acknowledged that that could happen, but he was saying that there's no way for your peers to specifically know that you don't have access to that newer state. But, there's right. also the issue too of like right now there's no way uh, unless I know like my note you know I have a channel with you and then I contact you on Twitter there's no way on lightning uh, for me to contact that other that peer and say hey you know I had an issue do you mind closing you know the channel at the at the at the latest state or something like that and th that seems like an issue to me I, I don't know if you can comment on that but is is there any uh, have you heard of any well so I mean I. I think that like if you if you were using the internet and you were like oh I gotta call that dude that's running a router in Japan and ask him to close that out for yeah him. like no no this is not where we're headed right there's a lot of code left to write and there's going to be multiple new features and things that make it super easy and uh, a no brainer and there's going to be businesses built around this and on top of it but look man at the end of the day this the idea of delaying a bitcoin transaction and invalidating it is super powerful and it, it it i think everybody can see oh my gosh that's amazing right if we can do that in a way where nobody really has to trust each other and in the 99 0.9% case, it all works really well. And in the 0.1% case, it either doesn't work well right now because we're still working on, you know, adding more capacity to the network or whatever. 
Um, or, you know, nodes go down and bad things happen, um, you know, as far as uh, a transaction doesn't doesn't get finalized or there's a bad user experience. And then in like the 0.001% case, you know, there's this really weird thing going on and this attacker knows that you're not connected. How would he know that? You know, and all of these other things happen just right to where you lose a few bucks. That's pretty good for where we're at, right? I mean, this this software didn't exist a year ago. Um, and if you were around when you were firing up, you know, the first version of the Netscape browser, your expectations were a whole lot lower. And we are talking about money, but at the end of the day, software is software, and it takes time to to build it and get it all right. And the pace is great. So um, I can't say that, you know, Lightning right now should be adopted by every business tomorrow and we should be doing 10 billion transactions a second or something crazy. But I can say that, like, there is nothing that is uh, that's even in the design level stage um, that can hold the candle to this concept and the amount of progress and the amount of value and like how much it's proven to be the right way to go over the last year. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, and I may be wrong on this, but kind of part of my perception is the reason that Lightning, um, you know, kind of got rolled out uh, in kind of the, 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 the I mean, because it's still kind of in a beta test phase in a way, right? So um, it, it's definitely not ready. And, and I think most of the people involved acknowledge that it's not ready for, you know, primetime adoption or anything. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. Oh, think- I think that, I mean, yeah, I, I think... I think it would be really smart for somebody like Twitter to decide that they're going to roll out lightning payments. Um, and here, here's an example of a use or something case. like that on there. Exactly. Uh, I mean, imagine that every time you hit the, the little like or the retweet, um, there's a really tiny, you know, five Satoshi, 10 Satoshi transaction involved. Lightning can totally do that, right? It, it's, it's built and designed for that. Um, yes, there are probably going to be issues, right? There was issues in the early days of the internet. Um, but you know, that's why we have billion dollar companies that are, um, that are on the cutting edge of this stuff, right? Like your grandma's not going to learn to code this weekend and start, you know, um, firing up some, you know, application on top of lightning anyway. It's ultimately the user experience for a lot of this stuff is going to be, you're on an application like Twitter and you hit the, you hit the little heart and some money comes out of your account and goes to somebody else over Lightning. Um, that that's that's where we will be in the future. But right now, you know, this is the first version of the browser, man. You you shouldn't expect like, you know, you're going to have to type in numbers instead yeah, of yeah. names into the browser to get to places. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, but oh, I'm sorry. Go. Oh, I was just going to say, but that doesn't mean that it's not like uh, going super, super well. And as a as a tech investor, you don't expect in the first year of a new technology for everything to be perfect. But you look at what is the trend and and how much progress are we making. So, I would say that we are certainly ready for some big businesses to take on Lightning uh, on for small transactions. It's still probably years away before you can send a hundred thousand dollars over Lightning um, without without any hiccups because the the network has to build a ton of capacity. There's not a lot of people that want to have that much money in it, but it's got $5 million in it right now of liquidity. So it's not like an early beta, right? Like it's very, yeah, it's, it's very, very uh, substantial. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also just still early. So I would say it's like, a, you know, think of it like a 1.0, but a, a really damn good 1.0. Yeah. I mean, uh... 
I, I guess the, the 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 point I was trying to go back to is that I, I was I was talking to Jeffrey Tucker the other day. We, one of the things that we were, I'd brought up was that you know I kind of wonder how Bitcoin would be if not even Silk Road so much, but WikiLeaks that kind of really is what made Bitcoin go from kind of a very niche and still pretty niche even now to to an extent. Um, yeah. But at that point, pre WikiLeaks, it was very very niche. Uh, it was a very small community, relatively speaking. And after that, uh, and with, with, with Silk Road kind of combined with that, it's really kind of when, you know, the average reader, uh, you know, going through page eight somewhere uh, might have started to first hear the word Bitcoin. And, and more right. importantly, it's when regulators, law enforcement um, really started to kind of uh, become aware of it. And I wonder... And it kind of goes back to as well, where you're talking about if we had to redo a, a blockchain again, like we'll be able to do that bootstrap it from, you know, from 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 zero to 60, uh, where, where Bitcoin, we had that long period out. And I'm wondering if we had that period without WikiLeaks, where we had another few years before there was any kind of, you know, quote unquote pressure for the for the space to grow, uh, where we would be, you know, would that 2013 kind of uh, initial speculator bull run not have happened until actually 2017 and we wouldn't have reached a thousand dollars until then um and then same for lightning i'm wondering if if uh i mean you you kind of invalidated that point of view but uh if there hadn't been the push for on-chain scaling the the split the divorce the messy divorce um would would there have been as much pressure to roll out um lightning where maybe perhaps there's another six months a year or so that would have would have been there for for development yeah i i don't i don't know i mean it's an interesting question i'm not sure i definitely don't feel like having watched the last year i don't feel like they were um pushing it out aggressively right like it it for the amount of money that people are using on it and the amount of capacity that it has i feel like it's been very conservative um and uh the technology is very sound for the amount for the amount of usage that it has so i don't think that it was like oh we're in a panic let's push this thing out um if anything as i watched it i was a little bit like oh man just push it out there's a lot of people that are happy to lose 50 bucks you know let's play with this damn thing so um and i think they did a really good job like keeping the uh even now there is a limit to how much money that you can have in a lightning channel you know in that alice and bob scenario um it's not it's not very high um so it has been rolled out, I think, very responsibly, actually. And maybe if I was going to complain at all, I would, I would only say too responsibly. But as bad as the press is when somebody loses some money, maybe, maybe that's for the best. I don't know. Um, but it hasn't been it hasn't been like it's been, you know, pretty professional and uh, good stuff and a lot of testing and a lot of really great people working on it. Um, the only thing that I guess I would say is it would be great if there was a lot more people working on it. So would I go back and like, you know, like Satoshi and say, uh, we'd rather not have WikiLeaks because that'll buy us more time. I don't think so, because I think that as long as it survived, the more adoption it had, the better, right? The, the, and that's part of like Roger Ver's genius is his, one of his big talking points was like, look, we need more adoption. And if we increase the block size, we'll, we'll get more adoption. And if we get more adoption, then all of these good things happen. You end up with more developers and it's politically less, 
you know, tenable to attack it and that sort of thing. And he wasn't wrong. Um, and so I would take that same line of thought uh, and say, no, we want as much attention as, um, and as much adoption and as much activity as possible. Um, we just don't want to break it. And, you know, of course, where Roger was trying to go, he, he was trying to break it. Um, so the line of reasoning is right. Like you, you want to redline it, right? You want to get the car to drive as fast as it possibly can, but you don't want to blow the engine. And uh, I think that, um, I think that's, you know, gone fairly well. Uh I think that we almost blew the engine last year and there was a lot of uh, sane investors that said, no, we're not, we're not going down that road. Um, and uh, the development pace has been, you know, really good on lightning, although I'd like it to be a hundred developers and not 10. Uh, but there's just not that many people in the world that can do this sort of work anyway. So a hundred is probably not realistic. So all in all, I, I think that, um, you know, if you're a Bitcoin investor, I think you're, you're pretty happy if you understand what's happening with the technology right now. And, and one of the last questions that I uh, that I wanted to ask about uh, with Lightning and and concerns is is the scaling issue. Um, I know that that it was uh, it, it identified in the white paper, and and what you know if you if you could kind of go into a little bit more detail on the scaling issue that that it does uh, that was identified currently has, and what are kind of the ideas on how that would fix be fixed to you know be able to handle. You know, like we talked about, like you know, the Amazon level of of transactions. Yeah. So, I mean, the there there's basically like no there's no scaling issue when you have a channel open, being able to send and receive between people, right? You can do hundreds or thousands of transactions a minute. You know, I mean, they, it's basically limited to the speed of your processor and your internet connection because it never goes to the blockchain, right? We're just signing transactions, invalidating old ones, signing new ones. Um, so that capacity is, is really, really great. Uh, but there still is an issue where we have to open up. Uh, we have to we have to create that first initial Bitcoin transaction, right? That first transaction that establishes the the payment channel between Alice and Bob still has to hit the network. Um, and there are a limited number of those things that we can do in blocks before we make the block so big that we end up, you know, screwed with uh, centralization again. So. Uh, there, so I mean that that's how I guess I would explain the problem, at least the one that I'm thinking of. There's probably other scaling challenges to it in certain certain places. Um, there's there's not. I mean, I'm not aware of a perfect answer for that yet. But I would say, like, look, man, over the last year we could have done, you know, seven transactions per second, and now there's no question that we could do seven hundred thousand transactions per second. That's incredible. Um, so we still have more work to do. Uh, side chains is another thing that I think is looking, you know, pretty interesting and promising. Um, the basically, uh, originally, you know, when, uh, when Satoshi and Hal Finney and all these guys were trying to figure out what they could do with Bitcoin, uh, because you can't do that many transactions a second globally, they thought, well, we'll just have these, uh, custodial services, right? We'll have like Coinbase's, which are basically Bitcoin banks. 
And, you know, I might have $100,000 in Bitcoin, but when I want to spend a little bit, I'll put 5,000 into my checking account at Coinbase, right? Like my savings is still secure, but I'll throw five grand into, uh, into the centralized service. And there's some security issues there, but then I get, you know, free transactions because it's just a database entry, um, between all of the other people that are at my Bitcoin bank. And, you know, maybe Coinbase settles out with Bitfinex nightly so that if I have to send money from my, my Bitcoin bank to somebody else's, um, you know, it looks like it's instant to me and the receiver, but really the banks work it out, you know, and they settle at night sort of thing. So that was the, the original idea of how we were going to scale Bitcoin. I think that that's, uh, I don't know that that would have worked because I think that the reason that we ended up with central banking is that we had banking and those are throats to choke. And if you can get a hold of some throats to choke, you can establish central banking. So I'm not sure that that would have worked out, but you know, maybe anonymous versions of that um, could have been interesting, right? Where it's it's a uh, it's a it's Coinbase, but there is no person. It's just simply a reputation, and the reputation is worth a lot of money because they're able to charge fees. Um, kind of the way I think a lot of people deal with Tether right now, right? Like I don't know who this nameless, faceless company is, and they seem super shady, but they're making a lot of money on fees. So I'll go ahead and hold some Tether to make a trade and get you know get this toxic waste off my books in the next few days. I think there could have been some interesting scaling solutions. Along those lines. Um, but fortunately, Lightning is way, way better because you don't have to trust anybody. Uh, so that's pretty incredible. And then sidechains, there was hope of different ways of doing sidechains. But right now, the only w- way that we know how to do sidechains is basically custodial. So instead of putting your money with Coinbase, you put your money on like Liquid, for example. And that's basically 10 exchanges that are all set up. There's there's some cool security there. Like the exchanges themselves would have to hack their own hardware, which is not super easy. It's doable though. Um, so ultimately, you've got you've got some cool security features. But what it comes down to is seven out of the ten exchanges have to approve a transaction. Um, so you can think of it as like a big multi-sig wallet that every all these exchanges control. Um, and seven of 10 of them have to sign in order to, to uh, approve a transaction between or pull funds out. Um, and that's pretty interesting because I wouldn't want to have my, uh, I wouldn't want to have like my whole life savings there. Um, but it would be interesting again for like, you know, a checking account sort of amount. Um, if it's got a bunch of really cool features and it's relatively cheap, that's not a bad idea. So um, but that's new too, right? I mean, that's this year, man. We didn't have Liquid until this year. We didn't have Lightning until this year. So those are two completely unrelated, really cool scaling solutions that that uh, that really help the network. I'm excited to see what we're going to have, you know, in three or four years. I think we're going to have five or six things that are as interesting or more interesting happen. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it was kind of interesting though with with the Liquid announcement because. Um, you, you know, because what Liquid, from my my base understanding, is that it it is going to allow for individuals to kind of tokenize things in the same way that they've done with ERC twenties, are they not? Yeah, yeah, they they have uh, confidential assets, and uh, I think that there are some interesting applications of those, especially stable coins. I think is, uh, or I should say, fiat coins. Stable coins is just 
BS. Like you can't make yeah. things stable that aren't stable. But um, but fiat coins is a really good uh, application of something like you know the ERC twenty token thing. I don't think any Bitcoin maximalists have ever had a problem with digitizing things. Like that's that's crazy, right? Like obviously, look if you want to digitize your house deed, great, but don't create like Ravencoin, right? Like Bruce, this scammer on Twitter, um, and say we have to have this whole different form of money in order to be able to digitize your house deed um, or digitize. I think he's in he's in securities, right? So he's like, hey, we're going to digitize Pepsi stock. Like, okay, cool, but you have to create a whole nother currency to do that and uh you know this all this goofy technology no that that doesn't make any sense um that's just that's just a scam uh, trying to find people that are like oh yeah it's a good idea to digitize things yeah uh welcome you know welcome to the digital age man um so i i have no problem with like tokenizing things digitizing things i think it's really a, a cool idea that you can have a user experience where you have a uh you know, a Bitcoin like wallet thing instead of a bank relationship where you have these these a-holes that are freezing your account all the time and you have US dollars in that. I don't think anybody thinks that's a bad idea. Um, it's just a matter of doing that uh, in a way that doesn't overpromise on security. So, you know, the liquid guys will say, Yep. If seven of the 10 functionaries are compromised, uh, then they can, you know, they can take these, these digital tokens out of the system. And then you have guys like Ethereum running around saying, oh no, this is government hard. Well, it's not government hard because we don't want it to be government hard. Uh, what? Like, you can't even do a multi-sig wallet on Ethereum. Uh, I think you can now, but that's, that's fairly recent. Like, it's just a, it's a security dumpster fire, right? And so that, it's not that you couldn't take a security and put it on, uh, you couldn't digitize it. But if you take a security, like you take Pepsi stock and you put it on that security dumpster fire of Ethereum, uh, that's a really bad idea. So um, the, the objections are a little bit more subtle, I think, than, than people uh, make them out to be, especially people that are trying to sell you their, their scam coin. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I've always thought that, you know, one of the, the, the hardest part about digitizing physical assets, though, is is always that that proof, right? I mean, and, and you kind of mentioned it as well of, of you know, it's not going to be a, a, as secure as say like a, a native native digital asset like Bitcoin, right? Because, um, right. I mean, it, it is possible. I mean, I think that's the the biggest problem that people have with tethers. I mean, nobody, there's no public auditing of the bank accounts to go like, do you actually have you know, X billion dollars sitting in these accounts? Totally. Yeah, it's it's really tough because. Uh you do have to trust somebody, right? Like if you digitize Pepsi stock and you have this digital token, um, you still have to trust that if you go and show up and say, hey, I have Pepsi stock, I want to vote for the board of directors or whatever, that that, that whoever gave you that digital token actually is holding on to the Pepsi stock or that the legal system recognizes that digital token as Pepsi stock, right? And we're probably a long way from that. So there's probably going to be this trusted intermediary that you know has the Pepsi stock in a vault and says, yeah, if you have this token, it, you know, we'll, we'll honor it. Um, so there, there is a lot of trust in that system. Um, that's why I like fiat coins as an example of uh, what they should be doing on something like liquid. Uh, because if I have dollars in chase, um, I'm already trusting somebody, right? And uh, and I've got identity. I've got all kinds of other problems that go along with that. But if I have, you know, Gemini dollars and they're, uh, you know, 
relatively well insured. They've got a big brand, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to lose my money, but you know, I could lose my money in uh, in a bank account and people around the world have experienced that already. So there's some cool places where digitizing things make sense. But yeah, the only way that we can have a fully trustless asset is Bitcoin. It's the only one that exists in the world right now. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, there's not even a design that is plausible, right? Like a year ago, Lightning was just a design. And I could read that and go, yeah, that's a plausible design. I see how that could potentially work. That's really interesting. Um, there's not even a plausible design to create a government hard digital asset outside of Bitcoin right now. Um, and I think that uh, I think that's why it makes a better money than all of this other stuff. But you know, I'm still going to have a U.S. bank account for a while, so I wouldn't mind having a few stable coins so that I could, you know, buy something without a terrible user experience. And uh, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to hold you too much longer. And you've been, uh, uh, you know, real great coming on here in the evening. And I was wondering if you want to talk about MathBot, the uh, the other the other passion that you have. If you want to talk a little bit about that, how. Uh, you know what it does, uh, how people can use it, and and uh, it's a, it's a very very cool thing. Cool, yeah. Thank, thanks for uh, thanks for asking me about it. Um, so yeah, my day job is mathbot.com. Um, we are really passionately wanting to separate school and state. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, like kids that are that are medicated because their parents are told that they're not performing in math, they can't concentrate. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, really, uh, just awful stuff. Roughly one out of 20 kids in the United States right now is on speed, um, Adderall or some other version of speed. And it, it, I mean, speed, it would be the street name, um, uh, the closest approximation. Um, so, you know, we're just chemically lobotomizing one in 20 kids in the United States because they can't concentrate. And most of the time the excuse given is math, um, and it skews more towards boys. Uh, so you're probably looking at more like maybe one in 10 boys. Uh, it's, it's a lot of these little guys that are six, seven, eight years old, and their parents are being convinced they need to give them some pretty insane street drugs that, that I would have turned down at a rave, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so uh, the point of MathBot is that, look, these guys can do it. Uh, it's free. You go out to mathbot.com, you click sign up. Um, it doesn't cost anything. And you immediately start solving math and programming puzzles um, by basically programming a robot to move around the screen and you know pick up blocks that have the number one on them or 10 or 100 and, and solve math problems. And uh, those kids are doing really, really well. So that's I guess that's the story that right now hits me the hardest is I, I've gotten emails from people recently along those lines of, hey, you know, I had my kid on drugs and it turns out, you know, they're they're smart and they're able to focus. They just hate doing really stupid tasks. Um, and they're actually smarter than, you know, <laughs> smarter than my older kid. Um, and so we're taking them off. So that, that's pretty much, you know, the best thing that I could hear, but, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's a fun little game that allows you to learn math and programming. Um, uh, and it's free and, uh, we're, we're in the process of rolling out Bitcoin payments so that, like a grandparent can sponsor, you know, little Billy for $13 and little Billy can get 20 cents every time he passes and masters uh, a fairly difficult puzzle 
um, to keep them motivated because it is, it's hard work. It's not a first person shooter. It's not angry birds. You're going to be, you're going to be using some brain cells to pass these levels, but it's, it's fun. And with a little bit of uh, financial encouragement, a little bit of incentive to be able to go buy ice cream or something, um, we're, we're seeing kids just crush it. So, um, yeah, check it out. And then, uh, you know, feedback is, is super welcome. Um, my son and I, this is kind of, uh, our, our big project. He works on MathBot about 20 hours a week now. He's a he's 14 years old and he's a software developer. Um, so it's kind of a, a family passion. So anytime you want to talk about MathBot, you can hit me up at, at on Twitter at jwweatherman underscore. Well, I, I'd like to thank you again for for coming on. I'd like to have you you know on again in the future. And uh, you know, if for everybody listening, kind of already gave it away. But uh, where where uh, where can they find you, and uh, and who do you uh, want want getting in contact with you? Yeah, I mean, anybody that's got any questions, uh, definitely feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I have a bunch of content. Um, but you know what? Actually, when it comes to like Bitcoin scaling and questions like that, uh, in general, I'm kind of tired of talking about it on Twitter. I think there's been so many. There's, there's so many scammers and so many bots and uh, so many morons um, that it's kind of gotten boring. So one of the things that I would ask is if you've got a bunch of questions about uh, should we have increased the block size or something like that, just go out to 10hoursofbitcoin.com first because that lays out exactly what this whole space is about uh, in the shortest possible way that I could communicate what you need to know. It's not just my content. Uh, maybe a third of it is my content, but there's stuff, the Bitcoin standard introduction or, or forward is up there. Um, there's stuff from uh, Elizabeth Stark. Um, there's stuff on simplicity. So you'll get an idea that we are going to have smart contracts soon, just not on Ethereum or Ethereum Classic. Um, so if you go through that 10 hours, you'll you'll be oriented enough to where we can have a really intelligent conversation about this sort of stuff. Um, but if it's about MathBot, you know, you don't like the color of a button, anything hit me up because I'm, I'm just hungry for feedback on that. Um, so yeah, I guess those are the three places to go. Go out to mathbot.com, play that game, give me some feedback, uh, hit 10 hours of bitcoin.com uh, before you hit me up with questions on Bitcoin. And then, uh, you know, uh, hit me up on Twitter at jwweatherman underscore. Well, once again, thank you. I'm going to have all the show notes at digitalcrypto.com slash three zero. I'll have the 10 hours of Bitcoin link math bot, uh, you know, Twitter, YouTube, everything that, that you have. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Right on, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. This was a lot of fun.